chapter 6 this evening. And we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, the greatest sermon ever preached, preached by the Lord Jesus himself, takes three chapters of this book up, chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. And uh, we're into the sixth chapter tonight, and I want to read just uh, four verses of scripture with you, the first four verses. And, uh, you know, it's important that we understand what the Lord is teaching us uh, in respect to the gospel, in respect to salvation, and indeed in respect to having a relationship with himself. And he says this, Take heed that you do not your alms before men, to be seen of them. Otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not, send, do not sound a trumpet before thee, <coughs> excuse me, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. We trust the Lord will bless the reading of his precious word to our hearts tonight. I wonder, have you ever gone out of your way to do something for someone uh, and only for that thing that you've done to go unnoticed? There's no expression of gratitude. It's unacknowledged. How did you feel? Did you feel a little bit irked that you sacrificed of your time, that maybe you gave of your money or your, your, your skill and you provided a service for somebody and they didn't have the good grace to thank you or to acknowledge your effort. And you feel like it wasn't worth your while, that it wasn't worth the effort. Maybe you said, well, you know, that's the last time I'll ever do that for them. You know, we've all been there. We've all been in that situation where you feel like you went out on a limb for somebody or you helped out somebody in some way and they just simply ignored it or took it for granted. You know, here's the problem. There's a Pharisee in all of us. And every one of us, there beats the heart of a Pharisee. You see, Pharisees love nothing better than the praise of men. And they preferred the praise of men even over the praise of God. And so here in chapter 6 and verse 1, the Lord Jesus says, watch out for that. Uh, Watch out that you're not like the Pharisee. Take heed. Uh, You know, in chapter 6, if you remember, uh, Matthew's gospel uh, turns our attention uh, to the the, uh, teaching of Pharisaism. And uh, and the Lord Jesus challenges some of the application and interpretation of Pharisaical theology. And uh, he brought uh, those themes beginning with, you've heard that it was said. And uh, and he's correcting, not the law, but he was correcting their interpretation of the law and the Pharisee had this idea that if you could keep the law if you could just keep the ten commandments you'll be all right in the end God would see you good you'd get through the gates of glory and you'd be just fine but the Lord Jesus has challenged them and he's basically taught us in that first section of this sermon that if you're going to get get into heaven by your own effort that your own effort has to be perfect absolutely perfect perfect, that you have to be as good as God himself, that your, uh, that your behavior is to mirror that of the heavenly Father. And so we realize that with such a high standard, the standard of perfection, that every one of us has fallen short 
of the glory of God. But people will do what they do because they believe what they believe. And if people believe the wrong things, well then they, that will show in their wrong actions. And that's what we find in chapter 6 of uh, Matthew. As Jesus discusses three areas of religious practice, giving and praying and fasting. And uh, he highlights in each one the importance of having the right motives in worship. Of giving and praying and fasting in order to please God and not to impress men. You know, sometimes we fall into this trap of trying to impress each other. You know, in, in a prayer meeting sometimes I've heard people say, well, I would like to pray, but I don't know, know quite what to say. And what happens is they're intimidated by the prayers of others. And they think, well, I can never quote a hymn, or I can never quote the scriptures, or I can never speak as eloquently as this other person sitting on the pew beside me. You know what? That does not matter to God. God is not moved by man making an impression upon other men. God wants us to serve him and only him. And so the Lord Jesus cautions us about doing things before men. Take heed that you do not your alms, your charitable giving before men. And so he, in, in verses 1 to 2, he has something to say. He says, there's something to avoid. Avoid the sin of hypocrisy. Now, throughout this section of the Sermon on the Mount, which concludes in verse 18, there are two key words. The key words are reward and hypocrite. And a reward is what every man seeks. No matter what you do in life, you're after some kind of reward. There has to be a goal to what you're doing. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. If it didn't bring you some measure of personal satisfaction, if it didn't bring you some gain in some way, you wouldn't do it. So, you know, a person goes to work, he may go to work for the reward of pay. You know, at the end of the week, he's expecting a wage, or at the end of the month, he's expecting uh, a wage. Or he may go to work for the purpose of, of personal satisfaction. His job might be satisfying. And he may get to the end of the week and feel like he's achieved something. Or he may go to work because he enjoys, uh, enjoys expressing his, his gifts and his skills, uh, things that he's learned, and, and he likes to put them into practice. So there's always some purpose as to why we do what we do. But in the area of religion, you must never, ever make that purpose the applause of men if you're going to be saved. You cannot live for men if you're going to be a Christian. Now let's tease this out. Here's a warning, and that's what the words take heed means. Jesus says, watch out, for if you misunderstand what God wants from you, you'll end up giving God the very thing that he doesn't want from you. And then he speaks about almsgiving, about giving to the poor. Now, does God want us to give to the poor? Well, of course he expects us to take care of the poor. He expects us to reach out to those who are struggling and those who are less fortunate than ourselves. The Bible says this in the book of James, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So the Bible says that you should reach out to the widow, you should reach out to the fatherless, the orphan, those who are working 
worse off than yourselves. And indeed, if you were to go into the book of Psalms and just have a cursory reading of the book of Psalms, you would see that theme throughout. Psalm 41.1, blessed is he that considereth the poor. As Psalm 72, for he shall deliver the needy when he crieth the poor also in him that hath no helper. He shall spare the poor and needy and shall save the souls of the needy. Psalm 82, defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice for the afflicted and the needy. Psalm 109, for he shall stand at the right hand of the poor to save him from him that condemns his soul. Uh, Psalm 140, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and the right of the poor. Now because you have those recurrent verses in the book of Psalms and that idea throughout the Old Testament, the Pharisee took this to a whole new level. You see, the Jews of old considered almsgiving or giving to the poor to be the very pinnacle of good works. In fact, they considered it a prerequisite to salvation. If you didn't help the poor, you simply could not be saved. The rabbis consistently taught that one should give in order to obtain the grace of God. They said this, lay up alms in thy storehouse, it shall deliver thee from affliction. They said alms delivers from death and will purge away all sin. They said almsgiving will deliver from hell and make one perfectly righteous. There was a rabbinical saying that went like this, greater is he who gives alms than he who offers all sacrifices. And in fact, so linked and interlinked was almsgiving with righteousness that actually the same Hebrew word is used to describe both. So in the, in the Jewish mind, giving of alms is righteousness. Giving to the poor is righteousness. And you know, many people believe that way today. They think that if they give to good causes, if they support charity, if they help the poor, if they help those who are in, involved in tragic events, those who are caught up in natural disasters, uh, then that will define them as basically good people. So people want to be seen to be good. And consequently, people give in order to be seen. You know, we've all seen the picture, haven't we? Somebody standing in a picture in a picture frame in a newspaper or a magazine, and they're holding a big check, and they're handing over, you know, a thousand pounds or two thousand pounds or ten thousand pounds or whatever it is to some cause or other, and everybody in the picture is beaming. Or perhaps people go to charitable functions. They go to charitable balls. They get dressed up in black ties and, and fancy dresses and they go and they visit some fancy hotel and they pay a lot of money per head and uh, the, the uh, profits go toward a particular charity. Or then you have, of course, those who are celebrities uh, and, and pe- celebrities like nothing better than charitable causes, you know, uh, children in need. We just had uh, comic relief the other night, I think it was on Friday night, uh, or sports relief. Uh, and, and, you know, you think about those kind of, uh, those kind of pushes for charity and how it serves the image of the celebrity. You know, I always, think, I always think, think it's a curious thing when you have people who are multi-millionaires who are appealing to ordinary people for a pound here and there. Don't you think there's something strange about that? I always think that's curious. I think, well, you know, you, you can afford this between you. All you celebrities could, you know, could give 10% of what you own and you'd probably have your 39 million pounds or 40 million pounds or whatever it is you're raising. But of course, that's not what they do and that's not what it's about. It's about being seen 
to be giving. It's about being seen to be charitable. It's about being seen uh, to be a person who is good. And then the super rich, they go one step beyond that. They want to leave a legacy behind that says that they were humanitarian and that they were altruistic and that they were benevolent. And so you have people like Bill Gates who forms the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and they, uh, they are concerned with health in the third world and educating people and so on. And you know, Bill Gates is always heralded as a man who's giving away his millions for good causes. Actually, if you go and look at it, he gives, up, I think, about 1% of his millions to good causes. Very little in comparison to what he actually owns. But that doesn't matter to him because the thing he wants is his name to be attached to some uh, area of good works in which people will say, once once he's gone, Bill Gates was a very good man and he gave a lot of his money to charity. Now, Jesus' problem is not with giving to charity. It's not with giving to the poor for sure. But what they were doing in his day was they were giving in order to be seen to be giving. They were seeking to win the pleasure of men, to please men rather than God. And the result of that is hypocrisy. For they became one thing in public and they were something else in private. I wonder, is that you tonight? Are you something in public, but you're something else in private? That you put on a show for Sunday, but you have a completely different show on Monday. That you're something when you're out here and rubbing shoulders with God's people in the church of God, but you're something else when you're rubbing shoulders with the world in the world. What are you like when no one is looking? Jesus says, take heed that you do not your alms before men, to be seen of them. Otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, he says, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may, now listen he says, have glory of men. You see, there are people who want to have their backs slapped and patted for doing good. There are people who want to be recognized for doing good. It's important to their self-esteem. It's important to their reputation. It's important to their public image. Jesus says, don't do that. Don't be one who seeks the glory of man. He says, verily I say unto you, they have their reward. So he's speaking about people who, uh, as they gave, blew their own trumpet as were not literally but metaphorically he was drawing attention to the kind of people that like to toot their own horn who want to be seen as basically a good neighbor as basically a good person who want to be acknowledged before others who are living for the applause and pleasure of men in verse one there you see that little phrase to be seen of them to be seen of men it's the same word that gives us the english word theatrical And uh, these people are all about the show. It's all about, look at me, look at me, look at me. That's what it's all about. It's like theater. You know, people in the theater, they live for the stage. They live for the applause of the audience. They love that. They like it when there's a curtain call and the audience cry, encore, encore. And they come back out and they take a bow and everybody applauds them. And maybe they sing their great number all over again. And everybody stands to their feet and cheers. It feels good. There's a sense of personal achievement. There's a sense of personal satisfaction. Now, that's one thing in a theater or a show. But the service of God, friends, is never about the praise of men. And Jesus says people who seek to, uh, seek to serve God while desiring the praise of men 
are living in hypocrisy. Well, how is that? Well, the word hypocrite itself is a very interesting term, hypocrisis. Initially, it means one who answers. It gives the idea of one who answers in a set dialogue, like an actor. You say this and I say that. And finally, it means not simply an actor on a stage, but it means one whose whole life is lived without any sincerity behind it at all. In other words, you have a person who is living a lie. Let me tell you something. A lot of people go to church who are living a lie. A lot of people are sitting in pews on Sunday, perhaps in this church and other churches as well, and some of them are are living a lie. Some of them are living double standards. Some of them are putting on a front. Some of them are trying to impress those around them that they belong to the Lord. When in fact they're the devil's crowd dressed up in a suit or a dress or, or however. Listen to me. God is not interested in that. God is unmoved by that. It's hypocrisy. So here's a person that Jesus condemns who's doing good things as though somehow or other they should have the praise of God when in fact it's for the purpose of self-praise. There's something in it for me. They long the admiration of men. So when people having won the applause of others by their charitable deeds and acts are considered by others to be then concerned for others, good people, benevolent people, compassionate people, self-sacrificing people. Notice what Jesus says of them in verse 2. He says they have their reward. Literally, he says, that person is paid in full. You know, in reality, he's broken, has nothing, but he's paid in full. Now, this was a devastating comment to the people who were listening to this sermon. You see, it might not appear that way at first glance, But the examination of the language here suggests that what Jesus said was a ruinous statement for Phariseeism. The language is emphatic. The language is decisive. Man's praise is all the reward that the hypocritical or the glory-seeking will receive. When I was a lad and used to play football quite a bit, there was always a fellow on your team, always one that you said was a glory hunter. Do you ever play football with a glory hunter? The glory hunter stands on the line. He never contributes to the team. He always hovers around the goal box. And of course, when you're about 13 or 14, the offside rule isn't even in play, is it? Nobody even knows what the offside rule is. And so, so you'd get this kid, and he'd always be hovering around the box, waiting for the ball to come in. And then what? He'd toe-poke it into the back of the net, and then he'd run up the pitch like he was Ronaldo. Hands up in the air, cheering, you know, and, and basically saying, look at me, look at me. And all the other kids used to resent that fellow. You say, oh, he's nothing but a glory hunter. What does it mean? It means he's not playing for us. He's playing for himself. He's not looking out for us. He's looking out for himself. Well, listen, friends, in church life, there are people who are glory hunters. There are people who are in it for themselves. There are people who want to draw attention to themselves. And in truth, such people in the area of giving are not giving at all, but are purchasing the praise of men with their gifts and their charitable deeds. And when they get it, they receive what they paid for. Jesus says, when people give you that acknowledgement, you're receiving what it is that you've paid for, and there's nothing else coming. In other words, as far as eternity goes, far from being saved from sin, or you're having your sins purged away, that you're very much in sin and subject to eternal death. Such men, according to the word of God, have no place in God's heavenly kingdom. 
So there's something to avoid here, hypocrisy. But there's something to aspire unto, authenticity. Look in verse 3. He says, but when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. You know, that verse always kind of stumped me. Couldn't quite understand what it means. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand does. You know, it's not like you tell your left hand what your right hand's about to do, is it? And I couldn't figure out, well, what does that mean? You know, I know what it means, but where's that phrase come from? What's, what excites that phrase? And, uh, you know, Charles Swindoll, uh, the Bible commentator, he says, well, it, it's about sleight of hand. It's about, uh, it's about pulling off a, a trick in some way that the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. But actually, you know, when I thought about this, I, I realized something. You know, I sat at my desk one day, and I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write something down. I want to jot down a note. And I got a piece of paper, and I got a pen, and, I'm gonna, and I was going to write a note. And, as, and just unconsciously, my left hand came across and put, my, put, it, put itself down on the piece of paper, and I began to write. And then I thought, I'll have a drink of tea, and I, I lifted my cup, and automatically my left hand came up and cupped the cup, and I drank the tea. And what I realized was that the left hand is always a supporter of the right hand if you're a right-handed person. That the left hand is always supporting the right hand. You see, for right-handed people, the right hand is the star of the show. And the left hand is simply there to support you most of the time. But if you, if you, you, know, if you, uh, if you like, the right hand uh, is center stage and the left hand is a respondent. The left hand is an audience. And Jesus teaches us that righteousness does not need an audience. Now, this is the challenge of authentic Christian living. The Lord wants us to live for him and not to be men pleasers. Now, here's the mark of true faith. You ready for this? True faith only ever always seeks the pleasure of God. True faith only ever always seeks the pleasure of God. You know, sometimes in, in church life you hear people say this, you know, why do we do such and such a thing? Uh, you, know, you know, lost people, uh, people don't understand that. People will not come to your church if you do this, or people will not come to your church if you do that. Here's the thing, if you're living for people, you're not pleasing God. If the, if the reason you do something is just to get the pews filled, you're not pleasing God. But if you're, if you're seeking the pleasure of God, then sometimes you'll do things that other people won't understand, nor indeed will they enter into. And so I want you to get this tonight. If true righteousness is always about the pleasure of God, and this is the challenge of authentic living. Listen again to James's words. Pure religion, listen to what he says, an undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. Pure religion and undefiled is, to, is before God. It's something you do before God. That's authenticity. That's genuineness. That's sincerity. That's honest Christianity. If I believe that God is worthy of my service, then I will see that he receives the glory that he deserves from it in all that I do. If I believe that Jesus died for me, and especially for me, then I will have no trouble giving my life 
for him. Look in 2 Corinthians, if you will, and chapter 5 for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You see, I do what I do because of what Jesus did for me. I live for Christ because Christ died for me. You see, when Jesus gave himself to the cross, he didn't give himself to the cross for for his own reward. He didn't do it for his own good. He didn't do it because there was glory in it for him. He did it for the love of you and the love of me. It was a selfless act on behalf of Christ. And 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14 says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, it compels us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves for their own reward, but unto him which died for them and rose again. But if my life, now here's what I want you to get. If my life is a religious performance, if my life is about being seen to serve, If my life is about pleasing people rather than pleasing God, if my life is about building up my reputation and my standing in the community and how people look at me, then it's not God I'm serving, it's my ego. It's myself. And I'm a hypocrite. Are there hypocrites in the church? Of course there are. People may go to church to please man you may be here tonight because your mother is here or your father is here you may be here tonight because you think to yourself oh, I don't go where the pastor will ask me where I was you're coming to please the pastor or you may be coming to, uh, because it looks good before your neighbors yes there are, there are hypocrites in the church you know people go to church just to please men sometimes people may carry a bible just to be seen carrying a bible uh, people may offer a prayer just to be heard offering a prayer people may perform on a platform in a church just to be admired of the audience there are people who will never get an audience in this world who know they'll get an audience at church no matter how good or how bad they are in their musical ability They want the applause of men. They want somebody to say, good job, well done, you're, you're great, that was amazing. But hypocrisy, friends, isn't just a Christian problem, it's a human problem. There are hypocrites in the church, but I would say to you tonight, if that's your concern, you don't have to be one of them. You don't have to be counted among them. And if you want to be saved, I want you to understand that God doesn't want you to be a hypocrite. He doesn't want you to be an actor. He doesn't want you to play a role. He doesn't want you to be insincere. He doesn't expect anything from you other than what you already are and what he already knows what you are. He wants you to come just admitting your sin. Just saying, Lord, the game's up. I know that you know me. Admitting your sin, acknowledging your wrong, your own fallenness, your own self-centeredness, your own pride, your own foolish ambition. He wants you to come and embrace Jesus. He wants you to accept that Christ died for you and that you needed that and you need that yet and believe that, uh, that, that, that by trusting in him that he will give you eternal life. That's what salvation is. You see, if my good works are self-serving rather than Christ-honoring, then I'm receiving the glory. And I'm a worshiper of self. I'm posing fraudulently as a worshiper of God. Now let me tell you, there's a lot of religious people are at that game. 
And it's all about show. It's all about being seen. It's all about being respectable. It's all about building a reputation for myself. And let me tell you tonight, God won't have it. God won't have it. So there's something to avoid hypocrisy. And then there's something to aspire onto authenticity. And then there's something to apply privacy. Let's look further down our text here in Matthew chapter 6 and see what the Lord goes on to say. He says this in verse 4, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Now Jesus has just said, let not thy left hand know what the right hand doeth. Now he tells us that our giving, if we're going to give, should be done in secret. Should be done with a great big check, you know, a big poster check. It shouldn't be done on a stage with a, uh, with a count up of how much money I'm bringing in. It shouldn't be done by making an impression upon others as to what a good person I am. It shouldn't be done in any way that serves myself. He tells us that our giving should be done in secret. Now, of course, there will be times when people must know and have to know what we've given. He's not suggesting that if someone knows about your gift that our good deed is somehow invalidated. And it's not about the accounting of the gift. It's about the heart of the gift. And he's saying, just do it. If you're going to give, do it as an act of love between you and God. Do it unto him. Many years ago, the novelist A.J. Cronin was a GP in a small Welsh mining village. And he worked with a nurse there who had served that community for some 20 years and had given her patients the best of attention and care. Dr. Cronin was mightily impressed with her ability and, and considered her to be an exemplary member of her profession and vocation. And then he learned how small her salary was, and he was taken by surprise. And he said to her nurse, why don't you make them pay you more? It's ridiculous that you're working for so little. She replied she was getting enough to meet her needs. He says, but you deserve more. The doctor went on, God knows you deserve more. God knows you're worth it. To which the nurse replied after a moment's silence, Dr. Cronin, if God knows that I'm worth it, that's all that matters. And that is all that matters. You see, Jesus said, Thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 2. This is what it says, Moreover, it is required in a steward's that a man be found faithful. But with me is a, is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore, watch this verse, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. Many years ago, a young preacher came to me, and he said, if you had just one piece of advice for me as a young pastor, 
what would your piece of advice be? That was a great question. If you could just give me one statement, one thing that would help me as a pastor, more than anything, what would be that thing? And I thought about it and thought about it and I thought about it. And then I came to him and I said, here's what it is. Keep your motives pure. Keep your motives pure. I said, you know, people will forgive you if you make mistakes as long as you had the right motive. I said, even God will forgive you if you make mistakes if your motives were pure. But if your motives are impure, neither God nor people will forgive you. And how important that is. And that's what this verse is saying. It's saying, look, God is going to manifest. He's going to make appear the counsels of the heart, the motives of the heart. And he says, and then shall every man have praise of God. What is more important to you tonight? The praise of men or the praise of God? What would you rather? That men applaud you or that God receives you into his kingdom? What would you rather? That you have the blessing of God or the blessing of people? What folly there is when we live for the pleasure of other people people and many people are outside of Christ tonight and many people are outside of grace tonight because they're concerned what other people think about them if I got saved my friends would laugh at me if I got saved my friends at work would mock me if I were to live for the Lord all my buddies would just make me a laughing stock so what are you going to do live for the praise of God or live for the praise of man Who's going who's to judge you in the end? Who's going to call you to account in the end? Do you think your drinking buddies will stand up and judge you in the end? Do you think your schoolmates are going to judge you in the end? Do you think the guys you hang out with are going to judge you in the end? You see, your friends can laugh you into hell, but they can't laugh you out of hell. Don't ever live for the praise of men. Jesus, Paul is making that very point. He says, look, at the end of the day, what's going to happen? The Lord will make appear the counsels of the heart, and then shall every man have praise of God. That's it. That's what the child of, of Christ wants. Not man's praise, but God's praise. Not to please others, but to please his heavenly Father. Not to hear the cries of human approval, but to hear the Savior say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And that only happens when our motivation is entirely moved by our devotion to him. We need to live in the realization that we're under the spotlight of the all-seeing eye of God. You know, a God who sees the heart. Here's what Proverbs says, chapter 15 and verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. God sees. You know, as Jesus' sermon progresses on into chapter 7 of Matthew, we find that he warns us of judgment to come. And he says this, Many will say of me in that day, say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name have done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Imagine that. Imagine getting before the Lord and saying, Lord, didn't I do many great things in your name? 
Lord, didn't I give in your name? Lord, didn't I serve in your name? Wasn't I in church every Sunday, Lord? Uh, wasn't I baptized, Lord? Uh, wasn't I a Sunday school teacher? Uh, didn't I play in the praise band? Lord, uh, wasn't I a preacher? And then he's going to say, I never knew you. I never knew you. And worse, having heard that terrible statement of condemnation, he's going to add, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Listen, you don't want to hear those words. You don't want to hear the Lord Jesus say that. I want to encourage you tonight to come to Christ. To be real. To be genuine. To be the real deal. Not to be duplicitous, not to be hypocritical, not to exercise a double standard, not to live for the pleasure of men, but to live for the pleasure of God. To say, if Jesus loves me, and if Jesus would freely and selflessly give his life a sacrifice for my sin, I will put my trust in him and live for him and only for him and care not what men might say of me. May God bless these thoughts to your hearts this evening.